Kids are a joy, right? They're, they're born and they're so cute and they just want to snuggle them and they're so dependent on you. Uh, and then as they start to get older, you watch the steps, right? They, they learn to, to walk and they start talking and they start eating by themselves. And then you get to a point where they want to put their own clothes on. And then you're like, all right, which usually means they put them on backwards, but it's just so cute. Uh, and then as they start to get a little bit older, they start, you know, playing with their toys and building and coloring pictures. And, and, and then when you come home from work and they're just running up to you. And then as they get older, even even more so, you know, they start transitioning to the personality level and stage where you really start to see who they're becoming. And they start to find their their friends and they get involved in different kinds of activities and clubs and sports. And, and all of that is is a joyous process and then as they get older and older it, it moves to graduation to college to a job to marriage and then eventually the grandkids right and that whole process of watching our children grow is just such a delight and if we just left it at that parenting would be amazing right but instead what we have in the in-between is all of these problems that happen with our kids. Now, sometimes it's just because of maturity and carelessness, but we know a lot of times it's because of the selfishness, the, the, the sin that exists in all of us, right? That, that as much as we love our kids, they're going to do things that frustrate us and, and baffle us, where sometimes we just shake our heads and wonder, how is this my child, right? But as parents, we love them. No matter what they've done, we continue to embrace them because they're our children. And we're going to see how the author talks about this idea today as we go through the book of Hebrews. So we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3. So if you want to uh, open that up, you, you can move there. Um, but again, the author is continuing this passage, again, we're talking about how Christ is better than anything else we could ever imagine. And so we talked about how he's a better message. He's better than the prophets, better than the angels. Uh, we talked about how in his humanity, Christ was still better than the angels, right? That his humanity didn't negate his divinity. But in that humanity, we were able to find salvation through Christ. And now what's going to happen is he's going to talk about the person of Moses. And we talked last week about how Christ is the ultimate builder of the house. And, and many people looked at Moses as the great hero, as really kind of the foundation of the house. And the author was trying to say, no, 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 you have it misplaced, that it is Christ who is the foundation. And Moses is simply part of that house, just like each one of us is part of the house of Christ. Uh, and so he's going to play off the story now of Moses as, as we get into the wilderness and what happens with God's people. And as I mentioned, we're going to see five warnings through the book of Hebrews. We already had the first warning to not drift, to not hear the gospel and, and take no heed to it. And so now we're going to see the second warning that the author has given to the audience here. So again, if you have the Bibles, Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 7, and we're going to read through verse 19. It says, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion, during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, and for 40 years saw what I did. 
This is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared on an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you who has a sinful, unbelieving heart turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first, as it has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all of those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Now, two weeks ago, Dave mentioned how when he quotes the Old the Old Testament here, there's really just kind of this assumption that they understand the full passage. So what he quotes is from Psalm 95. And this is a psalm that actually goes and connects to the wandering in the desert. And there's two parts that come out of this. One where, where Moses strikes the rock uh, and water pours forth because the people were grumbling and they're complaining. Uh, and so God calls him to do this. And the second one is when uh, God brings them to the edge of the promised land and he sends out some spies to explore this promised land, this land of Canaan, and they come back with the report of what they have seen and essentially what should happen moving forward. Okay, so Psalm 95, again, is just this little snippet that really has a much bigger history that, again, the audience should really understand what's happening. So what we need to do is we need to really go back to Numbers 13 and 14 to really flush all of this out so we really have the full historical context of what's happening here and what the author is bringing to us as he talks about the individuals who have just come back and are ready to give a report. So in Numbers 13, it says uh, they've come back and they've explored the land that God had promised them and they gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey, and here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anuk there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So uh, the people of Anuk were a giant warrior group that actually descended from the Nephilim, which were talked all the way back in Genesis 6 as this large giants that roamed the land, essentially, that were these fierce warriors. So it probably kind of conjures up the image of Goliath, if you will. So as they go, they're like, yeah, there's all this great stuff, but there, there's these guys there and we'll never, we'll never be able to defeat them. And so the men were afraid and basically argued, we, sh we, shouldn't, we shouldn't attack. We shouldn't do anything. Except for Caleb and Joshua. These two men out of the 12 said, no, 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 guys. This is the land that God has given us. What do you, what do you mean? We, we, can't, we can't do, we can't say that. 
God has given us this land and we have to go forward into it. And so they start to complain against Moses and Aaron. And they start to say, it would have been better for us to be back in Egypt. Again, the place that they've just come out of slavery from. Right? They, they've just come across the Red Sea. And they're like, we, we should go back to that. We, at least we would have been alive there. And at the point of, of complaining, they're actually on the verge of stoning Moses. That's how upset they are with what they've just heard, that they're ready to kill Moses. And God speaks to Moses, and he says, listen, Moses, these guys never believe whatever I tell them. He said, I've had it with them, I'm done with them. Here's what I'm going to do, Moses. I'm going to wipe them all out, and I'm going to start fresh with you, Moses. And Moses is like, whoa, God, wait a minute, wait a minute here, God. You, you can't do that. What, what are the Egyptians going to say about you? They're going to say that you brought them out here to just die? That's going to look awful on your part. God, you can't do that. And Moses pleads for their lives. And he's pleading with God. He says, don't do this. What are people going to say about who you are? He says, this is a chance. Show them your love, your strength, your compassion, your forgiveness. God, be the God who you are. And so this is God's response to this. Numbers 14. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on an oath to their ancestors. No one who has ever treated me with contempt will ever see it. So God says, all right, Moses, I will forgive them. I will forgive them, but you need to understand something. It has been 10 times since they have wandered this desert that they have argued and they have complained about what has been happening to them. 10 times, Moses, they did not listen to me. All the complaining, how they, how they collected too much manna, how they collected manna when they weren't supposed to, Arguing, grumbling, fighting. The, the whole golden calf issue, Moses. Do you remember that? Remember I, you were up on the mountain and you came down and in that time they crafted a, an image to worship? And he says, here I am. I, I brought them to the edge of the promised land. I brought them to the very place where I was going to give them rest. And instead, they turn around and they argue Against me, Moses. I mean, they, they saw the crossing of the Red Sea. I gave them the gift of the man. I gave them the quail. I protected them, Moses. They, they, they watched me as a pillar of a cloud and as a fire lead them. Moses, ten times they rebelled against me. but I, I will forgive them. But understand, Moses, I have forgiven, but they will not see the promised land. They will die in this desert in response to their disobedience. And so Moses tells them this. And so the Israelites respond and they mourn. And they say, what have we done? And they say, well, we'll make it right, God. 
God, we'll make it right. We'll, we'll go out and we'll go fight the enemies because that's what you told us to do. And at this point, God says, tell them, no, it's too late. They are going to die in the desert. And they're like, but God, we can do this. And God says, don't tell them to do it. It's not going to go well. And so what do they do? They march forward into the hands of their enemies and they are slaughtered. So this is the historical context that he's referencing. Okay? This act of rebellion in the desert. And so what he's saying is to these Israelites and, and to now these Jews who have been scattered, he says, I understand what you're going through. I understand that you are afraid. You've been dispersed from your homeland. You're living amongst the pagans. I get how in the desert they, they long to go back to something they knew that they thought was good in Egypt. And I know for many of you, you're longing to go back to what you think was better than what you have right now. I understand the pain and the strife. I understand that some of you are going through some real struggles right now in your life. And it's going to cost you. I understand it may cost you your, your reputation. It may cost you your job. It may cost you your life. I understand that. But he says, don't harden your hearts to God. So what does that mean? Because we've seen that in Scripture before. What does that mean when the Scriptures talk about hardening our hearts? See, when we harden our hearts, really what we're doing is we're disobeying God, but it's just not an act of disobedience. It becomes a fixed attitude against God. Essentially, in our hearts and, and in our minds, it gets to the point that we are so upset and angry with God that our own thinking becomes dull and we no longer have the ability to perceive the actual truth that's happening. And so as the Israelites wandered, that's what they did. They hardened their hearts to God that they couldn't understand what God was trying to do for them. And that hardness then turned into rebellion and that rebellion turned into death. And so he's turning again to his audience in the book of Hebrews and he's saying, guys, I get you're going through a struggle. And I don't want you to harden your hearts the same way. I don't want you to rebel and I don't want you to faith face death as a result of this. Because see, here's what happens. When we go through trials and suffering in our lives, two things happen. One, it's going to expose the inner recesses of our hearts to us. It's going to show us what we actually believe, right? We oftentimes give a lot of lip service to God, don't we? We tell God all of these wonderful things, and then as soon as things get hard in our lives, we start to then wonder where God is. What about all the stuff that we just said before that? It seems to no longer matter. Because when things get hard, it really exposes us, right? See, it, for the Israelites, they were following God, for many of them, for their own fleshly comforts. They had a superficial faith, and a superficial faith is built on a superficial foundation. And when something comes along that's going to destroy that foundation, it does so easily because it's not really a foundation at all. They, they really lacked a true heart to follow God. See, they, 
They followed Moses because they wanted their freedom and they wanted the promised land. What they didn't want was actually a true relationship with God for many of them. They were attracted to, again, the fleshly blessings, but not the spiritual blessings that God had offered them. And so when God turned to them and said, here's your chance to trust me, here's your chance to have faith in me, they didn't want that. They wanted to be fast-tracked into the promised land is what they wanted. They, they wanted a super easy life that got on the highway through the desert through all of the problems. In Deuteronomy 8, he talks about this experience. He said, there's a reason why I had you wander that time period. He said, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter the, and possess the land the Lord has promised an oath to his ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commands. And he humbled you, causing to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. He, he says, I wanted you guys to see what was in your hearts. I wanted to expose to you that you truly didn't have a heart for me, but you really had a heart for your own comfort. that your heart was actually in rebellion against me this whole time. So trials and suffering will do that to us. It will really show us what we believe about who Christ is. Now, the second thing that happens with trials and sufferings is that Satan will use this. He will use this as an opportunity to not just draw us away from God, but again, into rebellion against God. In verse 10, it says they had gone astray, which means to wander, to err, to have been confused, to have been deceived. That, that's what that word means. And in verse 13, it says they were hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Right? That their heart against God happened because they were deceived by sin. And that's the same thing that happened in the historical context in Numbers 13. When they come back, what did they say? We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. Moses, I'm sorry, this is it. Game over for us. And in Numbers 14, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? See, they had believed the lies that Satan was telling them. They didn't hear the truth of God because they allowed their hearts to be hardened that they could no longer perceive what truth was. See, it's true. They were not stronger than their enemies. But the point was, it's not that they weren't stronger. The fact was God was stronger than their enemies. And the point was that God was not bringing them out to die by the sword of their enemies. No, God was moving them into a position where their enemies were to die by their sword. That's the truth they couldn't see. And if they could have understood that truth, instead of saying, Moses, no, they would have said, Moses, let's go. So instead of turning towards God... 
they rebel. And instead of seeking God for their problems, they point their finger at him and blame it on him. So if the goal is to not have our hearts hardened, what do we do? How do we, how do we overcome this? Because again, trials and difficulties are real and they are hard in our lives and they are painful. Well, again, God's word is never devoid of truth. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. How many times have you ever asked God to expose your heart? And not just expose my heart, but Lord, show me the sins in my heart. Lord, expose to me where I have gone wrong, because the last thing that I want to do is rebel against you. So God, if there is any inclining that is in my heart that is set against you, I want to see it because I don't want it in my heart. How many times have you ever prayed a prayer like that? That's what the word calls us to do. Psalm 119. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know, when trials and difficulties come, we can rely on our own truth and our own knowledge, but that's not going to help us at all. We have to understand what the word of God says. You know, we talk about having times of devotions that we should set aside time every day. And people are like, but I don't want to make it a legalistic thing that somehow me reading God's word is, going to, is always going to keep me from my sins. No, that's the point. Don't you get it? That is how we know truth. That is how we know salvation. That is how we know right from wrong. That's why it is so important for us as believers to understand what God's word is saying. Because if not, Satan will whisper the lies into our ears. And if we cannot identify that lie, we will accept it as truth. So it is critical that we know the word of God to protect us from those lies. And lastly, in the passage there, what does he say? He says, ask brothers and sisters to encourage you one another daily. Again, our faith is never meant to be lived alone. Our faith is never meant to be lived in isolation. I'll tell you what, that if you're going to choose to live in isolation, you've made it super easy for Satan to work within your heart. Because when we live in isolation, we are the only voice of reason. And more often than not, our voice of reason is not a voice of reason, but it's a voice that's leading us towards destruction. And so it is absolutely critical that we have relationships with one another, guys. It is absolutely critical that we not only love and care for one another, that we speak truth into each other. Because when it gets difficult and it gets hard and I want to scream out, why God, why God are you doing this? Why do you hate me? It takes a brother to say, stop right there. God has never hated you. He has only loved you. Those are the ways that we combat a hardened heart. 
We cry out to our Father. We engage ourselves in his word. And we live in the communal faith that he created as the church. So again, the message is don't harden your hearts. Don't rebel. God is not the problem. He is the solution. Now, I want us to see something because he's not done yet reinforcing this idea. He gives these series of questions at the end of this little passage here. And the five questions, question two is actually a response to question one. And question four is actually a response to question three. And he puts these in here and he has these series of questions and he says again, who were they that heard and rebelled? Were they not those who Moses led out of Egypt? Who was he angry with for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? And then he gives a final summation statement, and he says they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. What is the point of these questions? He's already made his point about not hardening our hearts. But I think this is an added measure for us that we can all listen to. Because I think for many of us are saying, I was never in the desert. I never wandered there. I didn't make a golden calf and start worshiping it. But again, the, the fear is that's what's going to happen. That will harden our hearts. And so he admonishes us. He says, the people who rebelled, they were God's people. Who was God angry with? They were the people who sinned against God, who were God's people. And who did he say those people would never get rest? They were supposed to be God's people. The people who didn't enter the promised land because they chose not to believe God. And so here's what I think the author is communicating. That you and I are not susceptible to this. We're lying to ourselves if we think we can't fall into this trap. Oh, Adam, you don't have to worry about me. I know God. We're on the same page. That'll never happen to me. I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to pray for other people. That's what I'm going to do. I don't have to worry about my own heart. I will never harden my heart against God. Well, I'm pretty sure that's what all of those walking through the Red Sea in that moment thought when they crossed over into the wilderness. Because, see, you and I have the same problem that the Israelites did. It's the problem of the heart and it's the problem of sin. You and I have the same tendencies towards sin as just as much as they did. It's so easy to look at people in Scripture and scoff and shake our heads and say, just, they just don't get it. And again, that's what Satan wants us to do. Because if we think that we can't be lured into deception, we are wrong. That's a deceptive thought right there. We're God's people just like they were. We are God's people on a journey to a promised land just like they were. We've all had struggles, haven't we? In our past Some of us right now may be going through struggles. And if you're not going through one right now, there's going to be one turn right around the corner, I'm pretty sure. And and if we are lulled into the sense that whenever a struggle comes, I don't have to worry 
Satan has already done his job. And so just like many of those in the desert were following Moses for a superficial reason, it's very easy that many of us come to church and follow God for very superficial reasons. You know, there's a lot of people that come to church because it's a sense of belonging. They feel a part of something, and that's what they're looking for. Many people come to church because they feel a sense of reassurance that, that God in church is a comfort blanket to them. That church provides for our emotional needs, right? That we're hurting, and I know these are a group of people who will love and take care of me. There are some people that have come to church knowing that they can milk the church and the people of God for all of its worth to help them with all of their projects and give them money when they need it. See, many have come to church thinking that I am being offered something instead of offering our lives to God. Many have come but never allowed for the spiritual transformation of the soul that then turns into the worship of God. Trials and suffering are going to do that in our lives, right? I mean, we can just look at the past several years and how that challenged us as a church across this country and around the world to say, what do we actually believe about God? And just as that issue of exposing our hearts the same issue can happen where Satan weasels his way in. If I asked you to reflect upon a struggle that you're going through, and I gave you enough time to think about that struggle, I'm pretty sure that in due time, if I left you alone with your thoughts, that you very easily could put this on God and take that act of rebellion and justify it in your mind. I have no doubt that every single one of us has the capacity to do that. Because we live in a broken and fallen world. We live in a world of sin that has ruined everything. And don't get me wrong, life is hard. There are struggles, there are difficulties, and there are pains. And some of those struggles are very temporary, right? Perhaps I've mouthed off to the wrong person. Perhaps some of those struggles and seasons are a little bit longer, like I can't find a job. Perhaps some of those struggles are now a permanent part of your life, especially when you have lost a loved one in your life. You will always have to live with that sorrow. And there is the tendency all the time in those moments where Satan whispers in our ear and he says, God is not good. He does not love you. He is unjust. You are right to rebel against him. And Satan makes God to be a vile monster out to punish us. So what do we do? Lord, we pray, help me. Help me to understand your truth. Do not allow my heart to be hardened in this struggle. And we go to his word. And what do we see in his word? James chapter 1. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. 
Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. When you go through struggles and you go through trials, remember James 1. It is not God who causes the sin in our lives. It is our own sin that does that. And in Romans chapter 5, it says, Not only so, but we glorify in our sufferings because hope, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And in 1 Peter, they have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Suffering does something in our lives. It exposes our hearts, but it points us to truth. It puts us in a dependency upon God that when we get through the trial, he says you are better for it because now you know the, your heart and your heart is for me. So let me go back to what happens in the book of Numbers. Again, when their rebellion in their own sin is happening, and Moses is pleading, he pleads to God with this. He says, The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of their parents to be to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people just as you have pardoned them from the time they have left Egypt until now. He says, God is patient. God, you are good. You are loving. You are forgiving, God. That is the character of God. And even in your justice is goodness, God. So the warning is, guys, don't harden your hearts. The admonishment is this, that this can happen to any one of us. Any one of us can fall into the trap of Satan if we are not doing what we need to do, which is to draw near to God. And so the charge that he leaves is this. Verse 14, he says, We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. Guys, we share in the glories of Christ. We share in the glories of his death and resurrection. We share in the eternal kingdom if, 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 if we keep our confidence in him. And it's the same thing that we read about last week. That conditional phrase, if, if you are willing, if you are willing to endure what you are struggling through. Keep going. Do not give up. You know, I started with the conversation about how we love our kids no matter what they do. You know, when, when Weston was a baby and he was young, I'm talking like diaper young and no clothes young, right? We had left him with Larry so Krista and I could go out and Larry had just had knee surgery. And we said, Dad, are you sure you're okay? He said, I got this. You'll be fine, go ahead. We're like, Dad, are you sure? And they were at the top of the steps. And I could still remember seeing Dad and Weston holding onto the railing in his diaper. And in the process of us walking from out of the house to the car, Weston had made it downstairs, had terrorized the house, had pulled things off the shelf, had pulled all kinds of things, knocked things on the floor, had broken Larry's glasses. And that is my son 
And that still is my son today. And I love him. And it's the same way that God loves us, right? It's the same way that God said to those people in the desert, I love you. I love you because you are my children and I want what is best for you. So do not harden your hearts. And I love what he says. The charge is this. He says, today, today, if you hear his voice, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you are hearing the voice of God, give your heart back over to him. And the beauty of Christ is this, that today is today. And guess what? Tomorrow becomes today. And next week becomes today. And a year from now becomes today, which means this. That Christ is always there waiting for you. With open arms to forgive you and bring you back. Because today is today and tomorrow is today in the love of God. But we have to understand someday will be our last day, right? Someday we don't get another today. And so what I implore you is make today your day of redemption in Christ. That if you're struggling with something and you're hurting and you are questioning where God is, oh, God is there. Trust me, he has not left you for a moment. He has not turned his back on you. He has not denied you any sort of love. He did it by going to the cross for you. And if you are struggling and walking alone, guys, you need to reach out to us because we love you and we want to help you because we care for you the way that Christ has cared for us. So make today a day of redemption in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, expose our hearts. Expose what we're going through. Show us, Father, where we are starting to be deceived. Lord, expose to us the pain in our hearts. Expose to us, Lord, the, the sense of rebellion that may exist. But God, more importantly, I pray that your spirit speaks to us, that we read it in your words, that you are patient, you are loving, you are kind, you are gracious, you're merciful. You are a God full of compassion that only wants the best for us. I pray that is what we hold our hopes on to. That as we move through this journey, Lord, we know that something else will be around to, to challenge us, to cause us to, to, to be in pain, to cause us to question you. But I pray that, Lord, we don't give an inch to the lies of Satan. And, Lord, I, I pray for those that are hurting. Father, again, may you give them a sense of, of, of peace and comfort, but more importantly, speak truth into their lives. And Lord, I pray that if they are holding it in, that you give them the freedom to say they don't have to be embarrassed of what's happening. Lord, they, they don't have to be ashamed of what they're going through. But there is a freedom in speaking openly and honestly to you and to their brothers and sisters, because all we have is love for them. God, I thank you that in our rebellion, you're still willing to love and you're still willing to forgive. 
let us remember that in our truth that you died for us in our state of sinfulness. So you already know what's lurking in our hearts. We don't have to clean ourselves up to come to you. We are only clean when we find you. Amen.